The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Hello, welcome back to Culture Insanity. This is episode number five of the podcast. Uh, yeah, so welcome back. Thanks for listening now or later. Um, so some things we have on the docket for today are uh, Elizabeth Moss and her um, beliefs, I guess. Uh Walking Phoenix uh, made some comments in in uh, in reference to a movie that is going to be coming out soon about Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Um, there's a there's something we want to talk about in terms of uh, a cosplayer and some choices they made. <laughs> Charlize Theron has some parenting input. <laughs> and then there's uh, some there's a topic of Roman Polanski that comes up. So um, I should start saying from now on, here's what is planned to be talked. Here's what our plan is. We may or may not get to all these things due to the nature of conversations, but we'll do our best. Um, so yeah, that's what's on our docket. And then uh, provided we uh, get a phone in, we have some trivia today that is resurrection themed. Um, Obviously, it's Easter tomorrow, so that is why the theme this this week is resurrection. So, I have some. Is, is it specific Jesus resurrection? No, or just in general? Not at all, actually. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, movies with the resurrection theme. Uh, got about one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven, seven things here. So that's what's on the docket today. So again, welcome back, and thanks for being here, and thanks for listening, and thanks for sharing. Uh, so, without further ado. Elizabeth Moss was um, maybe promoting The Handmaid's Tale. That's her big show right now, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and so because of the nature of that show, talk, touching on you know politics and um, religion, um, she was pressed on certain things. And so uh, for those of you that don't know, Elizabeth Moss is a Scientologist, so good stuff there. <laughs> um, so... Uh, the long and short of it is she was talking about these things and then she was pressed on the issue of um, LGBTQ and um, basically Elizabeth Moss says this um, in in regard to Scientology right in regard to yeah her faith Um, okay and what it says about it mm -hmm. and so she the article says Moss showed strong disagreement with the church's alleged anti-LGBTQ stance and they are anti anti-LGBTQ, the Church of Scientology, um, and she said, it's not where I stand. She said, that is not my bag. I'm obviously a huge feminist and a huge supporter of the LGBTQ community and believe so strongly. I can't even tell you. And people being able to do what they want to do, to love who they want to love, to be the person that they want to be, whoever that is. So, the question that I have for the purposes of our show in commenting on that and just figuring out what that means and what that says is this 
what do we allow ultimately to shape our worldview? And maybe a, a more whatever question is what what point does any religious system have, whether it be Scientology or uh, Muslim or whatever? What point does any religious system have when you are free to operate outside of its framework? Pastor Monty says, wow. Like, you mean specifically when you claim to be a Muslim, for instance, but then you don't claim the tenets of Exactly, Islam. and that's that's across the yeah. board. Yeah, whether you're a Christian, uh, a Muslim, a Scientologist, or whatever it may be, there's no shortage of religious beliefs out there. Um, but, yeah, what do we ultimately allow to shape our worldview? Because you see this more and more... Um, as a as a thing, as a as a reoccurring theme, and again, it's not just with her and Scientology. But what point what point does any religious system have when you choose to when you want to operate with outside of its framework and outside of its tenets and outside of what your your truth claims are? Its truth claims are rather. That's mine. That's your water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's this big water bottle on the table. Okay. And it's yours. <laughs> so, who wants to start with that? Big question, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relevant one. This is a byproduct of, the, of where we have been philosophically, not only, not only as a country, but, I mean, the world has gravitated towards... Um, postmodernism. Yeah, it's not new. On the brink of, uh, you know, right now the world philosophically is is uh, teetering between postmodernism and and uh, narcissism. So for our, our listener, real quick, postmodernism being your truth is your truth, mine is mine. You yeah. know, there is no there is ultimate, no truth. ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. And nihilism being everything is hopeless. So. Right. Continue. Well, you know, so so with that being said, what we have, which Christianity has had this issue for some time, um, where people have been vocal about thinking that uh, when they come to Christianity that they can take the moniker of being a Christian, but um, uh, t- touch their faith as if they were at a smorgasbord. So I like a little of this, I like a little of that. I don't like this, so I'm definitely not going to take that. <laughs> you know, and and we see that leaking over into other philosophies or pseudo-theologies or uh, theologies um, where people are doing the exact same thing. The problem, the, the, the problem there is that, that the underlying philosophy uh, that is there then says that there is no absolute truth. And for the person who, for the person who feels uh, that there is no absolute truth, um, I implore you to go to a... Uh, a 32-foot, 32-story building and jump off. And you'll find out how much truth there is when it comes to the end. Um, The reality of it is is that God has put into place um, mechanisms whereby we can clearly establish that there are truths which are not arguable 
and that man is not the measure of all things, nor what do we think is the measure of all things. And so these people are self-deluded and walk a dangerous line, in my opinion. I feel like we should have a disclaimer that Pastor Monty is not advocating for suicide. If we were a more a more popular show, this is where. Well, if you if, this is where you made the headlines. No, no on, on, no, on no, the no, contrary, no. if you advocate that there is no truth, then you will have no. That's not suicide. That's just exploring your inner self. I mean, for all you know, you could fly. <laughs> okay. That's not the point you're making, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, the point I'm making is very clearly that there is truth, and there are immutable laws in place put there by a sovereign God, and whether you ex- re- whether you want to receive them or reject them, they are undeniable. So... So what? Why? Why even cling to any particular one religious framework when you when you choose to live that way? Like, is it is it just uh, self serving at that point? Like it? It's ser- like her, you know, her her faith in the Church of Scientology. Is it just because it's self serving to her, and it it you know, like what's the point at that point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, all religion. <coughs> is self-serving in nature like if it's not revelatory and that's the thing like why does a person join a religion if they're not if they're not trying to make themselves a better person yeah, con- like conform themselves to it rather than but the thing is if the starting point isn't her religion but it's herself which ultimately all religions again if they're not revelatory are what i mean by revelatory is that it like the religion comes from a place outside of ourselves pretty much there isn't anything like that except for christianity just to spoil for (laughs) for you all there isn't anything like that except for christianity because religions if you look at if you study different worldviews the religions have different um epistemological claims (laughs) that term means like um how do i dumb that down or not dumb it down. <laughs> uh, how do I make it accessible? The <clears throat> that term just basically means claims uh, of starting points, basically, and all of them have like an understanding of you know where we come from, and in pretty much everything, it's either we come from nothing, or or where we come from is is the same substance that everything else came from, and so you are either so your idea of yourself is either basically that you are everything that you know that you are that you're the same ontological substance that you're the same basic essence as anything else it may be above you right now but one day you'll ascend to the same position as it and a lot of religion is about that ascension process or that you are or are actually the same substance as the everything else and there's no difference between you and it so like in hinduism for instance Mm -hmm. there's no difference between you and the gods there's no difference between you and each other there's no difference between you and nature um and it's all about understanding the lack of difference between you so when you look at the various religions it's either about ascension or it's about diminishing who you are um the, when that's the position you hold, sorry, we're getting to like a huge theological 
thing here. But when that's the position you hold, then your the the claim of truth is now arbitrary, and there you can pick any religion you want to. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the thing. Like it makes sense that she would be what we call syncretic. She would she would sink herself to whatever view that she wants to because in her mind her starting point is her and that's what makes sense when your starting point is you you pick and choose that's the long and short of it (laughs) sorry we got kids in the building and that's a comfortable position to ascribe to when you have issues in your life where things are not going like you would like or they're kind of messed up or you're just a series of bad choices and with Scientology, you you are a series of bad choices in a previous time. And right. so you have engrams which are uh, deeply subconsciously placed upon you, with ha- which have to be worked through. It's technological <laughs> Hinduism. Yeah. yeah, that basically is. <clears throat> I was, was going to say something, but uh, I don't remember. Um I don't remember. Um, yeah, I guess let's move. Let's move to the next topic. I seriously had something ejected from me. Sorry. That's okay. That's why you're here. Well, I just I, I, I. Why do people hold the beliefs that they do? I think, like getting down to it, the reason why people hold the beliefs they do is because they innately know that there is something more than themselves, and that's that's what it is and so you can hold that belief and then still um and then not want to practice that belief the the goal should be that we're cohesive that we're a holistic person and any religion that's worth its weight and salt should have an answer for how we can blend the two um the reason why elizabeth moss is well in her case the reason why Elizabeth Moss is capable of of going that direction and not blending the two is because in her religion, it's defined by her. I do want to point out, though, that Christianity is ripe with people who, who don't do that. Sure. And that's because, <laughs> not according to their religion, but accor- they're listening more to themselves than they are to the revelation. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and for, for me, if I take and sit back and ponder upon uh, the things of life, um, really it boils down to a couple things and... and uh, and everybody addresses these three things, whether they do it verbally and out loud or whether they just ponder it themselves. You know, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Those three questions permeate uh, man's existence and drive us towards trying to address those three. And so throughout life, people are trying to answer those questions in order to find some cohesion in their life. I, w- I remember what I was going to say, just adopting a synchristic sync- um, mm-hmm. worldview. Right. Then it, it just becomes, it becomes easier. You become like, because the world all now, you know, maybe always, not not always, but the world wants to live in a in a in a peaceful state and all these different things, and not that that's 
bad, but like they end up compromising so many different things to to get there, and so they want to have this this worldview that doesn't doesn't rub with anything. It it goes with whatever way the culture dictates, and all these different things. Um, so then it becomes it just becomes easier if you know what i mean to to live that way because you're not you're not having conflicting whatever's with anybody Um, well and philosophers have talked about that for a long time that uh the easiest thing to do is to have faith that's (laughs) i think i think that's kierkegaard but i can't remember maybe it's not kierkegaard i can't remember which guy it is but talked about basically that even though faith may not be rational it is easier for us to have an irrational leap that then makes our life meaningful because without that revelatory understanding, even if it's not one we follow, our life becomes meaningless. And that's where Pastor Monty's talking about jumping off a building. Mm-hmm. Anybody who understands um, what Nietzsche was saying, um, that basically life has no meaning, can draw that conclusion really easily. I think that basically if people um, if, if people want to have a cohesive worldview, first you start with scripture, and then the next place you go from there is uh, country music. I think that, that people nice. would be better suited no. if they spend some time listening to country western music. Please, no! Appreciate no! you plugging that. No! You were... No! You kept such a strong poker face when you started out. Anyways, let's move on. So, Joaquin Phoenix, I hear that what real that humming. Buzz? What is that buzz? Yeah, there is a buzz. Any of you? Do you guys like move your microphone a certain way? Any no. of you? <laughs> uh, no, there's, a, there's a little bit of. I don't know. Forgive us. That's crazy. Oof. Technical difficulties. Yeah, that's yours. Huh. Well, continue. Okay. We'll figure it out. Josh will try and figure it out. So, Joaquin Phoenix is, um, you know, probably promoting his new movie, uh, which, wow, what's the name of the, what's the name of his movie? Mary Magdalene. Joker? No, not Joker. (laughs) No, it's just called Mary Magdalene. So, it's a movie, it's a movie about Jesus through the eyes of Mary Magdalene, um, uh, but so he's promoting that movie right now. It's actually been it's been uh, done being filmed for like a couple of years. The whole Harvey Weinstein thing has present has prevented its release and complications with that. So uh, sucks for them. But uh, so he's promoting that right now, and he is referencing a scene in the movie slash. A, a, um, in the Bible, a part a part of the Bible, yeah, a part of Jesus' life, where uh, he heals a blind man. So, and in the Gospel of John, you see Jesus heal a blind man with mud in the eyes, and then he's healed. Well, Walking Wa- Phoenix has this to say. I'll just read this short little paragraph from the article. An early scene in the movie required the actor to perform a miracle from John's Gospel, in which Jesus healed a blind man by rubbing mud in his eyes, portrayed by a woman in the film. I knew about, he says this, I knew about the scene from the Bible, but I guess I had never really considered it. When I got there, I thought, I'm not going to rub dirt in her eyes. Who the F would do that? It doesn't make any sense. That is a horrible introduction to seeing. So, Joaquin Phoenix maybe isn't necessarily uh, doubting the miracle, but questioning the means, if that makes sense. Uh, 
And so <laughs> the question, the question I have for Joaquin Phoenix's issues with how Jesus did things, uh, is, uh, are some things, as yeah, are some things sacred and untouchable, or should we be, should we, the viewer, be open to artist interpretation and expression, even in dealing with things like recorded history? So um, yeah, we believe obviously that the Bible is recorded history, uh, and then do we apply that same standard? across the board or are we right to be righteously indignant on this sort of issue uh lastly this is a three-part question lastly does this critique of joaquin phoenix and interpretation does this cheapen the gospel so start with the first one are some things uh sacred and untouchable uh or should we be open to artist interpretation, uh, even in dealing with recorded history? I mean, some things are definitely sacred and untouchable, but the question is, are they sacred and untouchable for artistic interpretation? And I don't think so. So you'd say no. For artistic when it, when interpretation, it comes to arti- no. When it comes to artistic If that was the case, uh, let me give you an example. If, if that was the case in regard to, um, in regard to scripture, for instance, then there wouldn't be a harmony of the gospels so you look at like the gospel records and and you look at how it is that um the same events are told from four different perspectives three of which are understood to be um like synoptic synopsises synopses synopses um telling the basic story and then the fourth one taking a large amount of artistic interpretation in order to tell the philosophical story underneath it um so that would be the gospel of john it's these are all these are all they they have within them a human bent right in theology we call that a plenary understanding of of the inspiration of the holy spirit that basically like people are allowed their artistic interpretation it's also the reason why even before the bible was like um completely compiled and then uh yeah was completely compiled you had the gospel being spread right the gospel wasn't spread by videotape it wasn't spread by uh cameras it was spread by people who undoubtedly were telling the same story from their own viewpoint for many years before the um before the disciples started to write down their viewpoint on it yeah like 40 30 40 something years after yeah and let me i just want to be clear that doesn't cheapen it i just i want to be clear like some people may say okay well then that cheapens the message that's coming across well not really not if you have a, a bunch of people who've experienced the same thing because if you've got a bunch of people who've experienced the same thing then that will act, having that many forms of attestation people attesting to the events will weed out people who are telling the wrong version of the story. So the story gets stronger and greater because it's got multiple attestation over time, but that attestation is um, going to have a certain flavor. And that's the same way we look at, you know, police work, for instance, when a detective is trying to understand a story, it's like the the story is going to look a little bit different. Otherwise people are, there's going to be interpretation to the events. Otherwise, people have um, have planned out ahead of time what they're going to say, and mm-hmm. then it looks sketch. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I. So you answered the first and third question. I guess does not cheapen it. 
I don't think it. I don't think it cheapens it. But the same central. You do have to ask the question of whether what is being said is changing the content. Because there's a difference between interpreting and then adding or taking away. Mm-hmm. So, if it and, and you got to be careful, especially if you're going to interpret the Book of John, which is basically an interpretation, interpretation in itself. Yeah. Then you're if you change the content. And then that's, and, that's a problem and that's the point right that john's gospel it's it has the same meaning and the same things but through a different lens it's not like the you know core things that are being presented in the other gospels are it's now different in the gospel of john it's the same right um and it's it's um, cohesive but through a different lens uh so why would people be indig- so people be <coughs> people who would be indignant about this kind of thing would be christians right a non-believer would not care. Yeah, about generally, this. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, would not care that this interpretation is taken. Why would people feel up in arms about it? Because I, you know, you're gonna hear that when this movie comes out. You're gonna see that when these people go see this movie. That and who knows what else the movie will present. I have my. Well, I think. Yeah, I know. It. I know. It seems. It seems incredibly <laughs> but, gnostic. So why, why? Yeah. Why would they? Why would they? Um, I I think the question is going to be whether. And I couldn't quite get it from the article either. I posted the article, um, if you guys want to take a look. But I couldn't quite get it from the article. But the question is, is Joaquin Phoenix's position a moral position? If he's saying that he doesn't want to do this because he thinks that it's dumb, like God would never do that morally. He's saying something about the character of Christ. Right. Then he's changing the content of of the story. It has nothing to do with morality. I'm just saying, if that's what Joaquin Phoenix is saying, like, why would somebody spit in somebody's eye? I'm not going to do that. The that is or changing. Rub, 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 rub mud that has. Yeah, that's was, right. The way he interpreted it was he like spit on his hand and then rubbed the eye or something. That, yeah, that's his version. Of like, business. but if you're going to take that out, then you're changing the content. If you artistically He's, want to, like, you know, uh, not show it or whatever, that's different. He's obviously never made mud pies. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, or or mixed bread or anything that requires liquid. I mean, basically speaking, Jesus took the mud off of the ground and spit into it in order to form a paste. And then it's the paste that he put on the eyes uh, of, uh, of the woman. Look, well, look, I, do, I think Joaquin Phoenix, I think Adam's right. Joaquin Phoenix was more about the rubbing of it in the eye, the mud yeah, in the eye, Yeah, right? maybe. maybe said, so. I think in it he says, what sort, yeah, what sort of introduction is that to seeing? Now I have mud in my eye. Well, maybe so, but here's here's the deal. When I, get, it, I get his humor. When it, comes, when it comes to the greater things of life, philosophical, theology, contemplative, um, Joaquin Felix, Phoenix is is not my go-to guy. <laughs> We're talking about an actor here who spends his life portraying other people. That doesn't mean that he's not qualified to speak. On. Well, <laughs> it doesn't from, mean that. From like, my standpoint, I consider the source, and this is not you know, I, he's he has no other work that is available. That says that he's a, a deep thinker. Here's the thing: beyond being able to get a script and memorize lines. Okay, we've talked about this before, and that is just completely inappropriate. Okay, you may think it's harsh, but that's my take on it. Yeah, yeah. You, you that's not think where you want to get. The, you may think it's harsh, but it, it, it's not harsh. It's just tacitly wrong. No, it's not wrong. I'm never wrong. 
Well, rarely wrong. You chose poorly. I, I, I changed it to rarely. Wrong. Okay. Okay, rarely. The, it's, it's just, it's tacitly wrong. The truth is, is that a person can be a deep thinker without having anybody acknowledge it. So that's the first thing. The second is that Joaquin Phoenix is known for taking on roles that actually require a lot of pathos. And so just the fact that he can that he can act empathetically with a character shows that he has a deeper thought process. No, no, no. The, I think la- that, the second, I think the third you, thing, I think the third you, thing is that the characters that he plays and the way that he plays them are are very deep in terms of in, in terms of they are. I I think that that your um, artistic side. You know that you that you empathize and that you relate to where he's coming from, so he speaks to to you. No, he doesn't speak to me. That's fine, but you. I don't have confirmation. I don't give him. I don't give him that making, much credit. You're making. You're making a statement that doesn't. No, and, and then the the. And then let's take my, into account, let's take into account Jim Caviezel, right? Jim Caviezel played Jesus. Oh, my wife loves Jim Caviezel. Yeah, well, Jim Caviezel is pretty pretty good. But um, yeah, if you haven't got a chance, completely departure from his from his other work. But if you haven't got a chance, you should check out his show, Person of Interest. It's a great show. Yeah, that was uh, produced by uh, the Nolans. So it's actually pretty awesome. Anyway, but uh, but Jim Caviezel, you know, he gives testimony about Christ. Is it, it do we are we okay with him giving testimony about Christ, or does he need to have gone to a seminary or written a theological paper? He doesn't. He doesn't lay down a theological a, position. There, yeah, he absolutely. There's, a, there's does. a difference between giving testimony and and sharing where you're coming from and how you relate to things and giving a analytical description of what you agree All with right. or don't agree so with, gonna, what's possible gonna, or not possible. I'm going to push back on that, and I want to push back on that for this reason. When you do that... I think you enjoy pushing back. That's not why. Um, wow. Well, Joseph Jesse is throwing flames on the fire. He says, I think someone hates actors, and I wanted to get the old man's take on Little Nas X. I'm not sure what that is. You're gonna have to shoot shoot us a link, Joe. That's over my head, and yeah. I'm the youngest of the shoot group us here. shoot us a link. But with that said, uh, um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, push back. I want to push back on that because I think that when you do that, you're removing rational critique from um, theological statements. In other words, if I'm a Christian, I'm not making an analytical academic statement that can be held up to reason the same way that a person who's not a christian is is talking about things and i disagree with that jim caviezel is making a theological statement just as much as joaquin phoenix is making a theological statement well my okay so so what i would do is separate two things out first of all if you're a believer and you approach what is being said, then you're going to basically say that Joaquin Felix doesn't have any, you know, understanding of what he's talking about. Um, you know, you can't. There are many people who, when I was growing up, one of the things that was going around is that one of the main reasons why people who are non-believers have difficulty with the Bible is because they're reading something which has not been written to them. And in the same way, if Joaquin Phoenix is simply approaching this as an actor, 
and he's not a believer, then he's not going to understand the dynamics of what's taking place as God is relating to his creation man. And so he can comment on that all he wants to, but you know that's that's the beauty of the First Amendment. However, the reality of it is, is do I give that serious consideration? Do do I personally give that consider uh, consideration? No, I'm not a hater. I simply uh, weigh whether what somebody says has validity or not and determine whether I'm going to uh, keep it or not. So, again, I want to push back on on this. You're welcome to. Thanks. Um, I want to First pu- Amendment right. <laughs> I want to push back on it just from the standpoint of I don't, I'm not comfortable with the implication. I think it's a problematic implication that the Bible is written specifically for the believer in the sense that it can, that it's not accessible. And I think that we have to be careful with that. And I don't think you're trying to say this, but I think the problematic implication of that is that, is that having a meaningful understanding of what scripture presents is akin to having a Gnostic understanding, which is that until you accept what it is, you can't the, have a like uh, you can't have a meaningful a understanding. relationship with it. Right. Well, no, 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 no. You, you, now question. you're getting into a more heavy theology mm-hmm. where you're saying, is it possible for somebody to? Oh, I'm not saying critically review scripture. That's what you who's not a believer. So as I listen to what you're saying, somebody, as I listen to what you're saying, that's what I hear you saying. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that look, when a non-believer comes to scripture, the work of the Holy Spirit. As, as he deals with that individual is going to be to guide them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the deeper things of what's implied inside of Scripture beyond that, um, non-believers have difficulty grasping. Okay. Because the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the whole purpose behind the revelation of God is to draw men to the understanding of the truth of, of Jesus Christ and that revelation. And the Holy Spirit helps people in being able to do that. And I don't disagree with you. I just want to be clear about it. It's a really important thing because what I don't want is I don't want for somebody to walk away from our conversation thinking that basically the Bible doesn't mean anything to them because they're not a Christian. The truth of your standing with God, the truth of what of the inheritance to come when you do have a relationship with God, the truth of the state of man, all of these things are things that you can grasp from the Bible that are accessible. It's the deeper things like what Pastor Monty is saying. Um, I would liken it to not understanding a parent, right? You can't say to somebody you you could never um, you could never know my dad in a meaningful sense unless you are his child you can know my father in a meaningful sense without being his child you can know him in all of these ways you can even academically understand what it means to be his child if you read like my autobiography what you won't understand it is in an emotional way and that emotional way is opened up even more once you are adopted into that process so I just want to be careful that to clarify. Sure, sure. So the second thing here is that this movie... Also I, a little Nos X. Yeah, who's Nos X? I, 
it's a country song. Whoa. It's a country uh, song. Joe Jesse, listen, Joe Jesse listen, posted it. Uh, it's on 80s. YouTube. I listened to 80s and 90s. Well, so. it's a Billy Ray Cyrus song. Uh, well, oh, it's this new one. Not, he not a big fan of Billy Ray Cyrus. It's not a big fan. He's a, I was actually going to share this with you myself because it's awful. Yeah, but not not a big fan of Billy Ray Cyrus. It's a rapper who claims to be country, and so in order to like you know help his cause, he he gets Billy Ray to come on and feature on his track. Well, I definitely right, don't so here's like rap. Circulating on country radio stations, but it's like it's like you would not consider it country. No, I probably because wouldn't. there's like a hook of Billy Ray. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're going to uh, we got this little thing we want to test out. Um, and we're we're not going to do it right now, but maybe after the show, we'll take 10 minutes and record, and we're going to do a live reaction video of Pastor Monty reacting to Lil Nas That's X. That's hilarious. And then we'll post it <laughs> for you guys, so you guys can, can we, see how can we, he reacts to it. Can we play that song? We're not making money off this podcast, right? Well, if we do the live reaction video, then it's we're not. Free. Yeah, then it's not that because it's like be, we can't have a lawsuit against us. Right. In the future. Yeah. Okay. So, so sometime in the future, Pastor Monty is going to uh, do a live reaction to Little Nas X. Okay. So, so what I was going to say, so we don't go down a rabbit hole in regard to oh, let's not. <laughs> is there is an underlying story out there perpetrated by the Gnostics and going as far back, uh, cinematically going as far back as uh, you know, uh, Hanks and his uh, his. Um, Two movies, three movies that he made, but the Is there first Tom? one, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, yeah. Three movies. Yeah, particularly Toy the. Story. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, he's no, talking no. about Da Vinci. He's talking about, he's talking about Dan ah, Brown. Dan Brown. And and uh, you know, so there there is a which was a weak a movie. Narrative. I just want to tell you, yes, the it book, is weak. The book it was far better in a number of areas. But, Completely but, false, but far well, better because of artistic license but but the reality of it is 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 that um there is a narrative out there even on the history channel on the history channel i noted that there was this whole secret knowledge or secret history narrative about who mary magdalene really was Mm -hmm. and the reality of it is is that is an underlying theme that has been present for a number of years trying to um, undermine the actual position the scripture takes in regard to who she was and and uh, purport the idea uh, which goes all the way back to well we first see it in popular culture going back to to the to the uh, musical Jesus Christ superstar where you have this obscene Song that uh, talks. I don't know about, how to love him. Yeah, that talks about you know. I'd have um, to go back and listen to it. I don't know if I think it's obscene. No, I've listened to it. Several, I don't like it. it, it, it it's theologically, it's, it sucks. Well, if it's return, it's if it's return. Well, you know, it sucks. It's by Helen Reddy. Who? <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, so so my my point is is that this is nothing but a me and Adam will do a me and Adam will do a live a live a live reaction to video to, <laughs> I don't know how to love him yeah okay okay yeah That's so thing, you know this is a common theme that has been running through our culture for some time trying to affect people's understanding of who Jesus Christ actually was and how he affected uh, people. 
uh, sexually, con- uh, in that, in fact, he had some type of an illicit affair with Mary Magdalene. That That is all bovine excrement. Let's, uh, let's, we got a, we got, we got a call in for our trivia game. Okay. Uh, after this, we're going to jump to, we're going to jump to, uh, Charlize Theron. Um, our trivia contestant will be against you, Josh. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for calling in. Who's this? Tiffany. (laughs) Hi, Tiffany. (laughs) Josh, can you roll? Can you roll our uh, little segment here as we go in transition into our trivia? I can. All right, hit it. Time to play the game. Thank you for calling in, Tiffany. Time to play the game. <laughs> All right. So, as I said <laughs> at the top of the hour, <laughs> our theme this week on the podcast is resurrection in honor of. Resurrection Sunday tomorrow. So uh, this this trivia segment will be, uh, and I encourage our listeners uh, now and in the future. I know it seems like Joe is is, is streaming our podcast to participate uh, from afar, even if not officially. Um, but our theme is resurrection, and so these will be uh, movies with a resurrection theme. So this is how it's going to work. Oh man! I will read the just basic synopsis of the movie. You have to guess the movie. And no, no help, Tiffany. No, no looking online, no using, you know, your sort of, like, this is just knowledge in the head. That's how it goes, okay? So, Tiffany, as I said, you will, you will go up against our resident pop culture um, enthusiast. So, here we go. First, first one. A man brutally murdered comes back to life as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's murder. What movie is this? The Crow. Bing, 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 bing. Josh, Josh was quick on the draw with The Crow. Good job. One nil. Second. A ragtag group of Pennsylvanians barricade themselves in an old farmhouse to remain safe from a bloodthirsty, flesh-eating breed of monsters who are ravaging... The east of coast of the United States. Night of the Living Dead. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Hang in there, Tiffany. It's still your game. Next up. In a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded... Robocop. Co- Robocop. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. A terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted and sub- by submerged memories. Was he really resurrected? Not technically. Okay. He never really died. Well, but. and let's be clear. Zombies are not the same thing as resurrection. I just wanted to throw <laughs> okay. that up. Someone who's terminally... Someone who's terminal... But then gets out of it. You can classify that as Robocop. I love Robocop, for the record. <laughs> All right. I like him when he calls his partner that is, Murphy. That is 3 0. Here we go. An alien takes the form of a young widow's husband and asks her to drive him from Wisconsin to Arizona, and the government tries to stop them. Uh, star. Starman? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Wow. 4 0. Uh, at this point, uh, I would inform our listeners that, Tiffany, you have no chance of a comeback <laughs> due to the number of questions left, but we appreciate you sticking around and your good attitude. I don't even know the movie. So yeah. Like Next it. up. Here we go. Chris Nielsen dies in a car crash one night and then goes to heaven. 
Later, his widow Annie commits suicide, unable to overcome her loss. Chris descends into hell to save her. Oh, gosh. I can't remember the name of this movie. It's a Robin Williams movie. Cuba Gooding Jr., Robin Williams. Oh. I hear Tiffany's an, Tiffany's an expert at Cuba Gooding and Robin Williams. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. Josh was going for the clean sweep. I, kn- I Obviously, I know the movie. I just can't. I can't. I what I can't dreams the may, uh, may come. come. Yeah. What dreams go. may come. <laughs> Two questions left. Here we go. Tiffany, I'll give you a big hint, although something tells me that this hint might not necessarily help you. This was a remake last year. Okay. Five medical students experiment with near-death experiences until the dark clouds... She I'm surprised you got that. She got it. I knew that. I watched that movie. She got it. Flatliners. The original with Kiefer Sutherland. Julia Roberts. And Julia Roberts. That's right. All right. No clean sweep. Uh, last question. <laughs> Let's be clear. I could have got that. La- <laughs> I know. It's true. Last question. <laughs> this one Tiffany will for sure get. An immortal Scottish swordsman must confront the last of his immortal opponent, a murderously brutal barbarian who Even lusts for the fabled one. prize. Pastor Monty, go. Outlander. No. <laughs> not, not Outlander. No. Close. You, you said it wrong. It's not Outlander. Carlander? What? What did you say? What did you say? I don't know if it's right, but Farlander? No. No, come All on, right, guys. Josh. There All can right. be only one. The Highlander. Oh, the Highlander. Yeah. Out high. I mean, oh, no, you know. No. <laughs> With <laughs> the great Connor McLeod. Oh, uh, yes. Of the Clan McLeod. The Clan McLeod. Sean Connery's in that, too. Yeah, he uh, is. All right. He plays a Spaniard hey, of all things. my third cousin for generations. Ramirez. He plays Ramirez. Resident Scotsman in the house. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you for calling in. Better luck next time. Good job on Flatliners. Bye, Tiffany. What dreams may come, Josh. I I <laughs> clearly knew the movie, so... <laughs> All right, let's move on to Charlie's Theron. This will probably take us to the end due to the nature of the topic. Uh, so Charlie Theron, this was just an article released yesterday. On Variety, no, Cosmopolitan. Charlize Theron has two kids. One of them is a three-year-old, and the other is a seven-year-old. Max. She adopted Max. Uh, for a long time, <laughs> Charlize Theron believed Max to be a boy. No, I think it's Jackson. 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 Yeah, Jackson. 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 I'm thinking of Mad Max when talking about Charlize Because <laughs> she's Furiosa. <laughs> Furiosa, yeah. Uh, so, basically, the long and short of it is... Charlie Charlize Theron's child now identifies as a girl, despite being born a boy. Has for the last few four years. years. Yeah, a few years. Um, the article says this. While talking to the Daily Mail, Charlize said, Yes, I thought she was a boy too, until she looked at me when she was three years old and said, I am not a boy. She then goes on to say, So there you go. I have two beautiful daughters, Jackson and August. Those are the names of her two kids. Who, just like any parent, I want to protect and I want to see thrive. They were born who they are and exactly where in the world both of them get to find themselves as they grow up. And who they want to be is not for me to decide. She goes on to say that it's not her job as a parent to tell her kids how they should identify, but to celebrate them and to love them and to make sure that they have everything they need in order to be what they want to be. Sentiment sounds nice. 
question is, what are the pitfalls of the parent, the parental and philosophical stance of, quote-unquote, not telling our kids how they should identify? I have some follow-up questions as well. I'll read them, but we can break it down. Uh, what ground do we give up as parents uh, at, at this point as parents when we adopt this sort of stance? And then where, where does the buck stop? within a stance like that and does it allow for again a safe and consistent and comprehensive worldview so what do we think what are the pitfalls of this of this stance of not telling our kids how they should identify chaos chaos yep there's some statistics i think josh was going to try to pull them i don't know if you're i haven't had time right now. Um, yeah i'm kind of looking there's some statistics of of this exact kind of thing, um, speaking to the chaos point, of parents who allow their kids to, you know, grow up without these, these boundaries and these these truths again, truth, <laughs> um, and these black and whites that exist, um, and how it plays out in their lives and like the suicide rate, for example, and all these different things. So, chaos. Yeah, I, I, there's there's a. There on so many levels, there are different things going on. So from a from a, a theological standpoint, we go back to origins. Either you believe in evolutions, or you believe in some type of um, evolution, or some type of thing where we came out of nothingness, and therefore life is is whatever it evolves to be, and you are the product of that. And so your life is a reflection of that. And part of life's journey then is to try to discover um, who you are, or more importantly, what you are becoming. Um, you know, then you look at the position of the, uh, is, so if you believe that we are created, and that already states then that there is purpose and design behind how we are created. Even if you're a uh, an alien theorist and you believe that we were um, deposited here as an experiment by aliens, still you're basically purporting that there was some type of design in where we came from. So, but I, I'm going to err on the side of theology and say that that basically speaking the at, at the genesis of where it is that man is you have a choice to make and you that choice is that you believe that you're created with design and purpose and or you believe that uh, you come out of chaos and you're gravitating towards chaos so all of society then is governed by how it is that you live out um, your underlying philosophy or theology of of where you be, where you come from, and so you know God and His design. If you go back to Scripture, God and His design uh, made them male or female. So you are male or female, and then it is the point of society. To through parents and grandparents and great grandparents and overall the society that you operate in to help you learn and understand what that means to be male or female, and and so that provides structure inside of how society then operates. 
But if you throw that out and you say that I began in chaos, I don't know what I really am, I can self-identify to, to, to who I am. And don't get me wrong, I'm, all, I'm okay with self-identifying. If I got to take a leak really bad and there's only a man's bathroom, uh, 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 the man's bathroom is locked and occupied and there's only a woman's bathroom available, in that moment in time, Okay. I might self-identify as a woman. Wow. Um, but aside from that, Scripture is very clear that um, I don't self-identify and I don't live in a world of chaos. And and that's really the what's what's um, at at uh, at conflict here is that you really have to determine either we live in a world that is structured and is put together in such a way that uh, God reveals uh, his design and he addresses those three questions. Why am I here? Where, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Or everything and anything is open uh, to how it is that I'm going to live. It's very, very broad uh, philosophical, theological, sociological discussion. Yeah, I don't think that um, I don't think that anybody, at least I don't think I don't think that anybody thinks that there aren't people who are uncomfortable in their skin. I think that that's true. I think that that's a sign of the fall. Um, yeah, I would agree. But I I think that it's true, and I think those people need to be um, cared for. Um, taking that into account, it's it's connecting with that and making that a part of their identity that becomes the problem mm. and it and it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to do with sexuality for that matter or gender or um or sex um it can deal with all sorts of things i mean we look at um anorexia or bulimia you know we're looking at we're looking at essentially like mental disorders right dysphoria mm-hmm. right. um and uh the same thing applies it's something that that person is really going through so i don't want to i don't want to diminish the fact that a person is really going through it what i am going to diminish though is the idea that a child at the age of three is going through that yeah there is their their psychology isn't developed enough um and that there is a it's certainly not a monolithic understanding um meaning what it's not a singular understanding within the scientific community about how the mind works, um, and specifically in regard to identity. There are certain more vocal parts, but the majority of scientists and the majority of evidence doesn't show um, that um, people are locked, that, that people lock in their like identity in that regard at that age. Um, one of the things that Joe just said is, heck, if the kids said they were a dinosaur, <laughs> would that be encouraged? And I think that that's a really interesting point. So I posted this article from, um, I, I posted this article from the public discourse. Um, and it talks about this guy named Dr. McHugh. Uh, he was a John Hopkins researcher. Um, but it talks about a whole bunch of other things. So I think it has a lot of things that it lists. And, and, um, here's one of the things that it talks about. It says, Noting the proliferation of transgender clinics and transgender affirming doctors across the country in recent years, the college notes, 
um, the college that it's talking about is the American College of Pediatricians. Um, notes, let's see. The college notes the staggering levels of persistent gender dysphoria among young patients placed on puberty blockers. And this is what it says. In a follow-up study of their first 70 pre-pubertal candidates to receive puberty suppression, DeVries and colleagues documented that all subjects eventually embraced a transgender identity and requested cross-sex hormones. This is cause for concern. Normally, 80% to 95% of prepubertal youth with, with gender dysphoria do not persist in their gender dysphoria. Hmm. So normally, 80 to 95% who, who are taken to a doctor and are diagnosed with gender dysphoria, uh, which is to say that they don't feel comfortable in their skin, they think they're the opposite gender, um, that goes away after they hit puberty. So to have 100% of prepubertal children choose cross-sex hormones suggests that the protocol itself inevitably leads the individual to identify as transgender. Right. There is an obvious self-fulfilling nature to encouraging a young child with gender dysphoria to socially impersonate the opposite sex and then institute pubertal suppression. Given the well-established phenomenon of neuroplasticity, the repeated behavior of impersonating the opposite sex will alter the structure and function of the child's brain in some way potentially in a way that will make them identify and align with a child's biological sex. Well, that will make identity alignment with the child's biological sex less likely. Hmm. So just, just to understand, um, basically the fact that Charlie Theron is uh, taking a prepubescent child and encouraging them to not align with and dressing them up as mm -hmm. as a woman essentially is will affect the neuroplasticity of the brain will will bring that child into alignment with it and we can see that you got to understand i'm not talking about the fact that a person feels uncomfortable in their skin i'm talking about the medical phenomenon and the outworking of that there's a huge amount of damage that can be wreaked in, in that ideology. Um, you know, your hormones go out of whack, surgery, there's irreversibility of decisions, the body is like mutilated from what it was. I don't understand how this is do no harm. And if I'm being honest, I think that it's tantamount to child abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I was thinking that. It's really, it's like your, your child has a has some, something wrong, wrong with them, for lack of a better word. I feel like that's <laughs> a crude way of saying it, but whatever. Has something wrong with them, and then to to remedy that, you're giving them poison. Well, Joe's point is is really well taken. That you know, come on, we're talking about a three year old here. What if, like yeah? What if they what if they believe they're a dinosaur? What if they believe that they're uh, you know? A dog or a cat or a Sasquatch or whatever, you know. Are you are you going to encourage that as well? You know, so you know, so it's a three year old. Why, you know, are you going to encourage them to break their potty training and go out in the backyard because they want to be a Sasquatch? Well, I think I think actually that's exactly what's coming. You guys know about the gender unicorn, right? Yes. Yes, I've heard of it. I will post a picture for those of you who don't know the gender unicorn. 
Um, but that's what's coming. And if you look at the gender unicorn, let me post this picture to our thread so, so y'all can pull it up. You'll see as it defines uh, sex and gender that um, under gender, it is what the gender unicorn thinks about himself, herself, whatever. And under one of those <laughs> is other. Mm -hmm. and gender expression other mm -hmm. and when we say other we're talking about in reference to not male or female mm -hmm. we're talking to anything you can be attracted to whatever you want to be attracted to and that applies to your physical attraction your emotional attraction the only thing that um is locked in in theory is sex assigned at birth which is also not true um and that says other but that's referring to intersex but if you understand intersex there is no such thing as uh, a biological female who has functionally, who has functional male parts. There is such thing as a biological female who has male parts. That's true, but not functional. So, I have a question. It was my second question. It, so when we when this topic comes up, it's rightfully so you it's always centered around like the effects on the child and stuff right and it's yeah. it's well documented stuff but what effects does this sort of parenting style have on the parent like my question was and maybe it maybe it's just it's a broader question but what ground do, is, is charlie Theron and parents like her giving up as parents when they purport this sort of uh, stance this view like does it are there larger ramifications in terms of maybe sure. her authority as a parent oh, yeah. and all these different things? Like, yeah. what what's at risk for a parent? Well, I, again, that that's the reason why I said that you know sociologically, um, the what the parent is saying is that they they are okay with and in fact encourage um, chaotic behavior, so that. So that not only so they they want to operate outside of what would be the social norm, and and to try to uh, and to try to uh, pioneer as it were the acceptance of a new social norm. So that's going to work its way through in a number of ways, uh, starting uh, at the uh, the basic family unit and operating out from there. So they're they're not going to want to conform at all yeah. to social convention. Yeah, it's Ouroboros. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like what we always talk about. Yeah. It it's always most effective to take it to its extreme, you know, and yeah. and the the examples are, you know, dark, but what happens when the kids way of loving people and deciding who they want to be is evil. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. What yeah. then, Charlie? Like, what then, Charlie's there? And like, is that just you want to encourage them to be that person and find that beautiful? Like, their their way of loving people um, is is evil. You know, maybe it's murderous or it's rape or it's it's whatever. Like, then what? Like, then there's that dissonance, right? I mean, I think that that I think that that is a possibility. I don't know if it's a probability. Maybe given maybe given like a lavish lifestyle, perhaps, mm. but. I'm more looking at it as what happens when it becomes utterly dysfunctional. And that's that that to me is sad. I think that that is well one thing that's going to be years of heartbreak. It's going to be one thing that happens is you break into other well, people's well, homes. Will they call it utterly dysfunctional? 
like at that point like they'll understand it to be that but then no it'll be, be functional for them but but it means that since there is no there is no constraint uh, on on them or their behavior and how they act out, they'll do things which are unconventional and and would be considered strange. Yesterday on the news, there was a a guy in uh, I think it was Milwaukee that um, Milwaukee, broke, Oregon. Yeah, that broke into somebody's house, an apartment that broke into somebody's house, and and uh, t- t- undressed himself, took a shower. And then came out and started going through her clothes and putting her clothes on. And she happened to see it on her baby cam and oh, called the police. And they caught him, you know, red-handed. Well, so <laughs> they, they caught Answer him puns. going through all of her things and putting all her clothes on and cross-dressing. And, but, but see, that would be the extension that people are going to gravitate towards those types of weird behavior. I mean, I think that that's a possibility, but I'm hopeful that that is an extreme. Um, I, I, yes, I, we do hope it's an extreme. I, right? I'm hopeful that it's an extreme, and, and I don't think that it... I, I think I'm right. I don't think it'll be what will be the norm. So I think that there's going to be extreme circumstances that go that way. I think when we're talking about evil, we're going to see it as evil not in the sight of man but in the sight of god mm-hmm. um but in terms of functionality my my guess is that it won't function you're going to have lots of people who have to be in um who have to be in a constant state of welfare you know whether it be i don't necessarily mean fiscal welfare but i mean like you know their mental health will constantly having to be i just think about it from this standpoint like a child who's going to go through that, who who is transgender and is going to be encouraged to transition, is going to have to go on meds their entire life. Mm-hmm. Is going to have to get. Um, they're going to have to seek psychological help their entire life to help them deal with their gender dysphoria. So right there, you're already putting a person into into this system of welfare, right, where they're constantly having to be um, to get that type of help being managed. So there's that. Um, then you look at the functionality. It's that child will not be able to produce an offspring, and that that's really sad. And that's that's sad for Charlize too. The question is, I know that do she you want d- that d- child producing an offspring. I well, I mean, human beings are made without ability, so. I think that you do go. That's the cultural mandate. Be fruitful. Right. I'm not going all Margaret Sanger on you. I'm just saying that you know. <laughs> right. So, uh, so there's that, and then there's the fact that their understanding of family, which is the prime and universal building block by which society is made and functions, they're not going to be able to provide the types of roles that are necessary to keep society going, at least society as we know it, the God-ordained society. So, you know, you may be able to have some sort of, um, you may be able to have with this new generation of kids a reality that is sort of creeps along, um, but will it be able to be functional? Thrive. Will it be able to thrive, right? Yeah. Uh, another way of putting it, would like, let's take religion out of the picture. Would it be the survival of the fittest? 
Uh, no. The only reason why these people <laughs> would survive is because they're relying on outside forces to allow them to survive. And eventually, that burden is going to turn on them. And that's what makes me the most sad. Is yeah, society will get tired yeah. of, of uh, having to... Um, you know, having to support their that. uniqueness. Yeah, accommodate it. Right. Yeah. And that's that makes me very sad. And it's not just it's not just um like I think about Angelina Jolie's uh um biological girl who is is transitioning to a boy, Shiloh. That's the thing? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I don't know that. I'd have to look that up. But uh it's the you know, it's yeah, like I said, I think it's I think it's tantamount to child abuse. Mm, um, I don't think it's purposeful on the parents' part. I hope it's not purposeful on the parents' part, but you're fracturing a kid's psyche, and there's there's just a lot there's a lot there. And I think that you can't say that because a child has a persistent form of imaginative play, that that child is is supposed to be that. I think that you're in real danger of confirmation bias, mm-hmm. which is what is shown in that one study. Um, so, anyway, if I were you, I would do some research. The like the people out there. If I were you, I'd do some research. The medical field is by no means monolithic in its understanding um, of this, and if anything, it is normative toward classic understandings of gender in terms of the science of it. And I do think that the, Im- that the impetus, the responsibility, is on people who want to disrupt the normative system to prove why it is, um, why it needs to be disruptive. So Right, so the place that I, if I were looking at this to start researching it, the place that I would start is doing research in regard to what we know is, is, uh, is normative, development in in childhood development and the studies that are out there that show how children develop in their uh, in their physical being but also their psychological development as they age and then go from there and see what happens now when you start messing with that yeah the difficulty with that is that all sorts of studies are slanted so you kind of have to read both sides and that's what i'm encouraging yeah yeah i'm just saying again there isn't there's not monolithic studies the studies that are being fun this is you see the problem is is that what we're dealing with is is something that was normative now being questioned Mm -hmm. so in other words there's no studies that that as far as i know there's no studies that that explore that a child um must be either a boy or a girl right not until recently because you just are (laughs) and so that that's it's the same thing as you know the bible never talks about abortion well the bible never talks about abortion because in jewish culture it was wrong it was just understood to be wrong so why do we talk about it Mm-hmm. We just know it to be wrong. Well, it's the same thing. We understand boy and girl is right. And you go back and you look over the course of human history. That's basically the understanding. And that's the normative understanding. So you don't have to write about it against something that, you know, has never been there. So now it's, or has never been, has never gained a majority voice. Technology allows for that. Um, and so now we're we're at that point. However, there's, um, you should look at the research of a guy named McHugh. He 
um, he was uh, John Hopkins. Um, he was like the head of something at John Hopkins. I can't remember, but um, his research has been kind of silenced, um, but for no good reason. There's is, a book. Is this different than what you just shared? No, actually. Uh, Same guy. Well, they reference him in that. I don't think they're referencing. They're referencing something from DeVry University. Oh, okay. Um, but obviously you can look into that, the children's, uh, pediatric college or something like that. You can look into their research, but, um, there's a book I'm reading right now called when Harry became Sally. Um, and it is not, it's not a Christian book. It's not a theological book. It's just talking about, um, transgenderism and all of that, uh, movement in, in medicine and sort of charting like how, that has how medicine has dealt with that over the course of time and it's it's pretty interesting um but yeah it's a dangerous uh it's a dangerous time because well it's dangerous it's dangerous for our children because our views as adults are being put onto our children yeah then kelsey come home with a a book or she took a picture of a book recently it's some sort of book that's like geared towards yeah, child development and raising yeah. kids on that, and it's just, yeah, it's a very, it's a great, just like the homeless, yeah, it's a very aggressive um, agenda. And well, and again, they know that their best chance is to reach the kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and yeah. again, you have the gender unicorn, which I posted, yeah. uh, which is something that is, uh, I don't know if it's being fully taught, at least in Portland, I don't know if it's being taught to kids, but it's being taught to teachers. Mm. I do know that it's being taught to teachers and told to them this is how you will explain gender and sexual identity. Um, so, uh, go take a look at it and ask yourself if, if that conforms to reality. I know that here at ABF, we've had to take that into account. Never before have we had to say, uh, this is how you need to understand gender and sexuality um, because in the world, they're understanding it this way. So for us, we've had to build an apologetic method to deal with it because in the world, they're teaching something that has just really kind of never been taught before in the, in the, uh, in the public framework. Mm. And so we're having to teach our kids, this is what other people are saying. And this, does this conform with science? Does this conform with the Bible? Um, and our kids are very quick to understand. Now, people will say that we're indoctrinating by saying that. And my response to that is absolutely. We are absolutely indoctrinating our children to to our to our understanding of reality. My question for you is who who are out there who may think that that's indoctrinating the children. Do you understand that your children are being indoctrinated? Yeah, what are you indoctrinating? Your yeah, kids? in fact, you we're can all, go of back. Of course we're all indoctrinating. Well, your if kids. you go back 20 and, That's called parenting. If you go back <laughs> yeah. 20 and 30 years, you know, and look at the educational system. This is the, the even as back as far as almost 50 years, but, but when you look at the homosexual community and, and the, the communities that were out there at the time, they lay down very specific plans well, and let's, as to how it is that they're going to approach this issue of indoctrination in school children. Yeah, that, that method that method has been around for a they, long time. They've been, they've been advancing their agenda. Right, get for, teachers into schools. For and, many years. But yes. let's, let's also be clear about something. The transgender movement is not necessarily in line with the homosexual agenda. No, they all have disagreements in, about the in particulars. Fact, in, but. in fact, in fact, uh, 
a lot of the gender dysphoric um, advocates take a lot of issue with the homosexual agenda. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not saying they're the same. It's still it's still a dangerous ideology, and especially applied to children. So that doesn't mean that they haven't learned from each other. However, right. And this is one aspect that they clearly, um, as you said, your your children. If you have young children today in the public school system, make no mistake about it, they are being indoctrinated in very subtle ways. Not so subtle. And and sometimes not so subtle. And you need to be on top of it. Yeah. So we should wrap. Yeah. Josh recommended a um, a book. Oh, yeah. I can post a link. When Harry Met Sally. No, When Harry Became Sally. (laughs) No, no. You're (laughs) thinking of the movie. I'm thinking of the movie. When Harry Became Sally. Uh, Um. Uh, and he, you know, that's not that's from a non-Christian perspective, a non-theological book. If you're interested in a book from a Christian perspective and theological perspective, um, there's a book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. If you want to understand better um, this topic of identity um, from from a Christian worldview, so check that out. It's a really good book. Uh, yeah, I can't a, recommend that book enough. It's a really yeah, love a really, thy body. Called a really important book. That's how I keep saying it to my my dad because I keep trying to recommend it to him. He hasn't got around to it, but love thy body. When Harry became Sally, um, check him out. Uh, let's wrap it up. If you are interested in today's topics, or staying relevant, we do have programming notes. Programming notes, what we talked about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got that. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, you can check out the, the the Facebook video, the comments section. Um, I think Josh had been posting the links as he does. Um, some discussion forming on there. Check that out. Um, we want to let you guys know that we are in the process of uh, rebranding and better um, establishing ourselves here at ABF. We do a number of shows. Um, so in an effort to make things easier, we're going through or we're going down to one Facebook page um, so you can find these things easier, these different shows and stuff. And the Facebook page is Vigilance Radio Network. Yeah, it's going to be a public Facebook group, mm. the Vigilance Radio Network. You'll be able to join it. I'm gonna so expect an invite to it. You'll be able to join it, and instead of cross posting all of these shows onto everybody Wait, if else's, if it's, if it's public, they need to be invited. People, how do you? No, you can you can join you can join it. It's just because it's public, people can find it and join it themselves. Like oh. like subscribing. Gotcha. It's a, it's essentially the same thing. It's gotcha, just gotcha, it's gotcha. just a group, so there can be more discussion. Okay, yeah. that takes place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're interested in these things, you can go there and um, find these videos and find these podcasts and discuss and and yeah, join us. Um, if you are completely new to the Bible or exploring your faith, you can check or or new to Christ, um, you can check out the help tab on our website abfpdx.org. Um, with that said, we have several things in the pipeline, as we always do. Um, this month, our um, our Upper Story podcast, which uh, deals with just young Christian people talking about their faith and talking about um, relevant things, um, they have their podcast called The Upper Story, and that is the last Saturday of the month, April 28th at 7 p.m. Sunday. Did I say Saturday? Yeah. Last Sunday, sorry. April 28th, 7 p.m. You would have seen that if you looked at the calendar. Sunday um, at 7 p.m. So join us in that. The topic, I think, is relationships. So, uh, yeah, young Christian people talking about that and what it means. Yeah, it's a... 
casual discussion mm-hmm. between young people and their youth leaders. Like Red Table Talk, but with a yellow couch instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You can check out Pastor Monty's podcast Tuesdays at 11, Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Um, and then we have the next cross-examination panel discussion, which is a uh, group of local pastors talking about um, theology in plain language. So next month would be May 26th. Go ahead. No, I just want to say something before we Okay, close. yeah. Next month, uh, May 26th, the topic would be... I don't have. But look for that, May 26th, next month. Um, again, local pastors talking theology and It's uh, denominations. Denominations. Um, and you can submit questions you might have regarding denominations with the hashtag at CrossX on the cross-examination Facebook page. Josh wants to say something. Yeah. Oh, well, are you pretty much ready to close up? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to everybody who supports us. Like I said, we're trying to um, – we are trying to pare down everything we have so it's much easierly accessed. Um, but I just wanted to, to make a plea, a basic plea. Uh, our ministry isn't free to us. It's free to you. So with that said, if you feel like this is a cool thing and you want to support us, like – we're going to put a donate button on our site and we would like you to consider donating to us. If it's a ministry that is actually like doing right by you and you appreciate it, we would generate discussion. It helps helps generate discussion, helps you understand things better. We're going to be putting a donate button on our site and even just like one buck a month or even one buck at all is um, a way of letting us know that you appreciate what we're doing and helping us to fund, you know, getting the things that we need to run this ministry because things break down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say, pretty much. Cool. So, uh, in two weeks, you'll find us again, episode six. So, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And we're out. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.